Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi, great to have you along. I'm really pleased you could make it because the show today is going to feature an incredible story told by Lynyrd Skynyrd plane crash survivor and rock and roll hall of famer Artemis Pyle. Artemis was the drummer for the famed Southern rock band. He appeared on four of the original six albums recorded with frontman and founder Ronnie Van Zandt before the band's plane went down and crashed on the way to a gig in 1977. You probably recall the tragedy. It made news right around the world as three of the band members and several other passengers were killed that day. Artemis managed to crawl out of the wreckage to get help and his tale of survival is nothing short of chilling. His account of the tragedy, though, isn't the sole reason I'm chatting with him. Today, in his mid-70s and some 45 years after that fateful day, Artemis is still hell-bent on honouring Steve Van Zandt's musical legacy. Artemis records and tours with his own band, and he's recently released a film that recreates the story of that ill-fated flight. The movie, as you'll hear, is called Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Hello. Hello, Artemis Pyle. There are not too many people I'd get up at four in the morning to talk to. You're one of them. (laughs) Where are you? Uh, Melbourne, Australia. Oh, my gosh. Lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. Melbourne, on our last tour that we crashed, when we had the crash, we were on our way to Sydney. Is that right? I didn't know that. No, because I have relatives in in Sydney. Right. Sandy, thank you. I, I am honored to be talking to someone in Australia. I love Australia. I was so sad that we didn't get to make it there. Um, I mean, the, the gigs were booked. We were going to, you know, go. It was a 95-city world tour. And then uh, I was just talking to someone earlier. They kind of got me a little bit emotional because they were talking about the plane crash. They asked me a question. Some I never know when it's going to hit me. I never know when the emotion is going to hit me. And uh, I might be sniffing a little bit. I, well, it, that's completely I, understandable. I mean, st- stuff like that, we tend to relive all the time, don't we? And and it's like the death of anybody. It does come back in waves to you. So 45 years later, it may just seem like yesterday. It does come back in waves, and you're, you're totally right. A lot of times when I'm playing the music, I'm 74 years old. So, you know, my band, they're all in their 50s. And they grew up with the music. They play it with respect and honor and accuracy. Uh, They play it better than any band in the world. Uh, That's why we're doing a tribute album right now. We're working on it for Ronnie Van Zant. The working title would be Ronnie Van Zant, his music and his band. And uh, we've recorded a bunch of the classic songs, Free Bird, Sweet Home, Simple Man. Mama told me when I Sit beside me, my only son. Listen closely to what I say. If you do this, it'll help you some sunny day. back up a little, Artemis, and talk about how you got started with Lynyrd Skynyrd in the first place, because there's a pretty interesting story, isn't there? Well, yes, that was Charlie Daniels and the Marshall Tucker Man, and I was friends with those guys, and they knew I was a drummer, and Charlie called me one day, and he said, uh, I know of this band that's looking for a drummer, 
And I, the first thing I asked was, do they work hard? Because I work hard and I want to work hard. I love setting my drums up, driving my drums to the gig, you know. And now we have tour buses and we have a crew. But back in those days, I just loved it all. And I still do every aspect of, of music. And Charlie said, yeah, they work hard. And I found out how hard. So I remember meeting Ronnie Van Zant in Atlanta, Georgia, at this big stadium gig with all the Southern rock bands. And uh, Leonard Skinner was one of them. You know, they had the drummer Bob Burns. And I love Bob. We lost Bob a few years ago at 64 years old in a car wreck. And Bob and I were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame together. Mm. And he played Sweet Home Alabama and I played Freebird. I love Bob. And he was in my band. He was in APB. Right. And they loved having both Skinner drummers, the real Skinner drummers. But we lost Bob. And Ronnie asked me to come to Florida. And uh, the Marshall Tucker guys also helped hook that up. Charlie Daniels and the Marshall Tucker man. I ain't never been with a woman long enough for my boots to get old. Ronnie wanted me to come to Florida and he said, I'm going to fly five drummers and five sets of drums down to Jacksonville and we're going to have a drum off. And I said, man, that sounds like fun. I said, that's cool. Let's go. You know, and then he ended up calling me like three days later and he goes, look, never mind all that. Uh, <laughs> just get your drums. And he said, come on down to Florida. I've already been told that you can play drums. Ed King, that co-wrote Sweet Home Alabama. He said, yeah, the guy can play. And my friends and Marshall Tucker and Charlie Daniels, they verified that I was a drummer. <laughs> but Ronnie said, they said you could play drums. But he said, the biggest thing was they said you're crazy enough to be in this band. <laughs> you were considered the wild man of the band, weren't you? Well, they started that, you know, because I'm a vegetarian, right? So Ronnie would say that he'd let me out of the cage and feed me carrots they they made a joke about it because in my younger days, I would do, I like climbing trees and climbing towers and jumping from one car to another car at 70 miles an hour, going down the road and, and I, you know, stunts. I, I like doing stunts and uh, all the places that we played, the big arenas and the stadiums, you know, before sound check and around sound checks. They'd find me up in the rafters, climbing around and rappelling and doing crazy stuff. So, yeah, I got I got that uh, as wild man. Um, but, you know, truly the wild man of rock and roll was Keith Moon from The Who. to be able to meet Keith one night in New York City. And it's one of those things you'll never forget. I got to meet Paul McCartney and Linda. Those are things you just never forget. I hung out with Mick Jagger from the Stones. And all of this stuff I got to do because of Ronnie Van Zandt right. and his band. So I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. You know? Well, you're also a very talented guy or you wouldn't be where you are today. Adam, Miss Paul, what was it like playing with Leonard Skinner? How would you describe the band and, and being part of them? Well, it was wild, you know, because every show was sold out. And the, these guys, Leonard Skinner with Bob Burns, 
they had made it big before they ever knew I lived. I was still in the Marines. And those guys really, they were like the Go-Go's, the band, the Go-Go's. Mm. I love them. I talked to Gina Shock the other day. So did I. I love them, <laughs> but you did too? Yeah. I love her. I love the whole band. Skinner, they, those guys made it on their own. They really didn't have a Svengali, except for Ronnie. Ronnie had a vision. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to put it together. And it was his band. It was his vision. And they, they kind of pulled themselves up by going out in the road and traveling in a van, which I've done many times. I did, I did my stuff that they did with different bands. Yeah, But when they came together and did that first album and then that second album, they had already, when I came with them, they had already made it. I didn't make them make make it, but I'm a live drummer. And Bob Burns had some medical issues that he needed to to take care of. And I always felt like Bob was going to come back to the band and we'd have double drummers. We'd have two drummers. And Ronnie wrote a song called Am I Losing? And that song was for Bob because it's Am I Losing My Old Friends Because of Money. I recall when I used to come home, never had a dime. Lord, I always had a good time. And I recall drinking wine with one of my friends. fame and the drugs and the alcohol really drove Bob over the edge, but he got it together later on in life. He was always a character. Bob was truly a character. And playing with Skinner, Leon, Billy, Alan, and and Gary, each one of them had these, and Ronnie, of course, they had these personalities. They broke the mold. They all had these really great senses of humor, and, and a lot of talent and a zest for life. I love that about playing with this band on a stage with 300,000 people, you know? And of course, I used to refer to them as you guys. I wouldn't say we as a band because I didn't feel, feel like I'd earned it. You always felt like the newcomer. The new guy. Right. And then when Steve came along, he was the new guy. And Ronnie loved having a new writing partner. Steve Gaines, unfortunately, we lost him in the in the plane crash too, right? Yeah. I met all the Van Zants. Ronnie got 99% of the talent, and uh, he was a prolific songwriter, and he had a mastery, uh, a stage command. You know, you must have a command of stage, and Ronnie had that. And he didn't hoochie-coo around and jump around and wiggle and, and do all these little dance moves. Ronnie stood there and sang his songs because he believed every word he sang. He wasn't just reading words or memorizing words. He lived every word that he said.
could feel it because I always had him loud in my monitors. He knew that I had him loud because sometimes he'd take his microphone and I won't do it, but he could. I can do that really loud whistle. He taught me how to do that. And Ronnie could do it. I don't, I don't need my fingers to do that. Adamus, do you think it was his stage presence combined with the anthemic rock sound that you had? Because it was really groundbreaking, wasn't it, for Southern rock at that time? Was it those two bits that really led to Leonard Skinner's success that drew the crowds in from everywhere? It was absolutely Ronnie's vocal, stage presence, and prolific writing. That those songs were strong then, all of the songs are strong now. Because, I, I, Sandy, I play this music all the time to big crowds, festivals. No matter who we play with, the Outlaws, Charlie Daniels, back when, before Charlie passed away, we play, played a lot of shows. A lot of the bigger bands, no matter who we play with, the crowd, they come forward on us and they fist bump and they sing the words with us. We played last summer, like 40,000 people, and they actually drowned us out singing Simple Man with us. It was a phenomenon. from Leonard Skinner, a band that first came together under the name of My Backyard in 1964 when the guys were just teenagers. More from Artemis Pyle in a sec. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Welcome back. Leonard Skinner frontman Ronnie Van Zandt always had a feeling that he'd die young. He'd mentioned this premonition to multiple people, even telling a bandmate that he'd never lived to see 30. Then, 87 days before his 30th birthday, Ronnie died in that shocking plane crash. His musical genius, however, continues to live on. Ronnie did not write hit songs. He wrote hit albums. So everybody knows every word to every song. And each person identifies to Freebird or Give Me Three Steps or The Ballad of Curtis Lowe. Well, I used to wake the morning for the rooster crow Searching for soda bottles to get myself some dough Run them down to the corner, down to the country store Cash him in and give my money to a man named Curtis Lowe. Oh, Kurt was a black man with white curly hair. When he had a fifth of wine, he did not have a care. He used to own a note, bro, used to play across his knees. I songs mean so much to people because after the shows 
I sit for sometimes a couple of hours signing things for people and hearing their stories. They got married to Freebird. They buried a friend. They buried their their biker friend, you know, to Freebird. Their high school theme was Sweet Home Alabama uh, or Sim- Simple Man. Um, it's The stories are amazing how the music saved their lives yeah. Uh, yeah. when they were down and out. And I have to say, I, I understand what they're saying when they talk to me because being the drummer of Leonard Skinner has saved my life. There was a time, a very dark time in my life where I wanted to kill some people who had made false charges against me. I'm a Marine. I was taught how to kill people in many different ways, but I found out something about myself. I'm not a murderer. I don't want to kill anybody. I love people. Morganton, North Carolina, and I live at the base of the mountains that go up to about 6,600 feet. I, I live in a very, very safe, beautiful part of the world, thank goodness. We released our movie, Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash at the very beginning of COVID in that March when COVID hit hard, and the soundtrack, which my son participated in my band and you know, everybody, uh, all my friends up in Nashville, my, my band and my sons, we, uh, we decided to do the soundtrack ourselves because I knew that if I used any Leonard Skinner material at all, that there would be more, more lawsuits. Artemis made the right decision, even though he eventually won a ruling that allowed him to distribute the documentary film. He'd already been sued by the estates of the three deceased members of Leonard Skinner, led by Ronnie Van Zant's widow, Judy. And I was very excited to write our own soundtrack, an all-original soundtrack for the movie. And as you know, we use one song, Call Me the Breeze. Most people equate that as being Leonard Skinner because Ronnie made it famous and the band, of course. That's the reason that we were able to pay for the licensing fee in the movie because it's J.J. Cale. So I am so proud of everybody that it was involved in the movie and the soundtrack. We only had a budget of a million eight hundred thousand, and they were wrong, and we were right. I had a, a right to tell my story, and we finished the movie. You know, making a movie is hard, but making it under duress of lawsuits and accusations and a ridiculous barrage of meaningless diatribe is is hard as well. And then releasing a movie and a soundtrack is very difficult under normal circumstances. And we we did it under pandemic. and spent 22 hours with our director. I cried, I laughed, I punched walls, I yelled, I jumped up and down, and then I laughed again to get through 22 hours of talking about the movie. So it went into Rolling Stone and other publications that we were doing this movie and and telling the story of the plane crash. Well, immediately, lawyers started coming at us with cease and desist. I told them to expect it, and three judges unanimously voted against Judy, and she ended up having to pay two and a half million dollars uh, for the movie. And I asked Gary Rossington, the only one left of Skinner and myself and Judy, to come to the table and let's do this together. The fans would like to know what happened that fateful day. So instead of them being favorable 
they all turned on me and sent these attorneys for absolutely no reason, just a you know, complete frivolous lawsuit just because Judy couldn't get all the money and all the control. I did not do this movie for money. I gave my story to Hollywood and to the and to the world. And and I told it from my point of view because I didn't want to bring in anybody else's perspective or there'd be another bunch of lawsuits. I'm very proud of it. Everybody put their hearts and souls into this movie. The soundtrack, I think, is an award-winning soundtrack. What was Ronnie Van Zandt like? Ronnie was a gentleman. He was a fisherman. He was a prolific songwriter and an amazing person. When Ronnie would drink a lot of scotch or a lot of whiskey, his personality would change. So when he was sober, he was a gentleman. He was pleasant. He was kind of shy. And, And he loved life. He would get into it. But during that time, Leonard Skinner and Ronnie, we were at our top of our game all these sold out shows all over the world and people would come up and they'd want to get with Ronnie and he loved talking. Ronnie was as real as they get. Ronnie was a great human being, a prolific writer and a cool guy to get into the drugs and alcohol, which changes anybody. So yes, there were fights and uh, there, there were some tense times, but always on stage, we delivered. Despite Ronnie Van Zandt's wild behaviour when under the influence, many of the songs he wrote were about issues he was passionate about. Ironic then that 1977's That Smell was written as a warning about the consequences of the overuse of drugs and alcohol. Whiskey bottles and brand new cars Oak tree you're in my way There's too much coke into my smoke Look what's going on inside you Skinner fans will recall the band's controversial use of the Confederate flag. Artemis says for them it was nothing more than a symbol of the pride they felt for their southern heritage. In my conversations with Ronnie, I remember him saying that the Confederate flag was MCA Records trying to push a southern rock band. 
and the, and Ronnie and and the band, they're from the South, and you know Ronnie was definitely not a racist. I know that for a fact. He was saying to Neil Young, "Don't blame all Southern men uh, for what some do. Some of them use bull whips, the bull whip whips cracking, you know, from Southern man from Neil Young, and yes." You know, there, there's some prejudice, but don't blame all Southern men because we're not all like them. Southern men better keep your head. Don't forget what your good book says. Southern change's gonna come at last. Now you're this thing made, this giant stars and bars. It was beautiful, man. And big, big, giant thing, as big as the side of a house. Well, we were uh, over in Europe, and the road crew accidentally dropped the, the flag on the ground. And Ronnie saw it, and he made them burn it. And our road manager was losing his mind. He said, he was begging Ronnie, he goes, Ronnie, Ronnie, man, we just paid $25,000 to have that made. And Ronnie said, I don't care. Burn it. We had the largest Confederate flag ever made that, that I set my drums in front of. And I love all people. So I certainly wouldn't want to offend anybody. And then all of a sudden it came very relevant and, and very apparent that the Confederate flag is very upsetting to a lot of people. I'll, I'm I'm by the rule that let's let's try to make everybody feed children, take care of the elderly, stop the wars, treat everybody with respect. The band abandoned the Confederate flag in 2012 in recognition of its offensive and racist undertones.
where you come from, we all know the song Sweet Home Alabama, don't we? The lyrics are likely burned into your brain and you probably can't resist the urge to get up and dance whenever that main guitar rift starts up. The single reached number eight on the charts, its popularity due at least in part to a controversy hidden in the verses. Lynyrd Skynyrd directly name-dropped their supposed adversary Neil Young in the song. Neil had expressed his disappointment with racism in the South in a couple of his tunes. Sweet Home Alabama was allegedly a response to these. Stay tuned as Artemis recounts that horrific plane crash that was to shatter the band forever. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. It was October 1977 when the plane carrying all five members of the Leonard Skinner band ran out of fuel and crashed in a wooded area near Gillsburg in Mississippi. The plane had been flying to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and crashed near its destination. Three of the members of Leonard Skinner, 29-year-old lead singer Ronnie Van Zant, guitarist Steve Gaines, and his sister, backing vocalist Cassie Gaines, tragically lost their lives that day, along with several other passengers and the pilots. Surviving band member Artemis Pyle recalls the horror. It just wasn't a good plane. We kind of didn't like it. When we showed up at the airport there in Jacksonville on that fateful day to start that last tour, this red, white, and blue plane showed up, and it was late. And all of a sudden, we were sitting by the hangar, and the front of the plane came up, and the uh, pilot slapped the brakes really hard, and the plane did a real low bow with the front landing strut. The, the front end of the of the uh, convoy came down real far. And I, I told Steve, I said, man, that's not right. They hit the brakes too hard. So it, it showed me that they didn't have a handle on this airplane. It turned out Artemis was right. The plane itself dated back to 1947, and the pilots severely misjudged the level of fuel they were carrying on board. You knew you were going down. Can you tell us about that? We took on 400 gallons of fuel which is what the gauges said, but any pilot will tell you you're supposed to take a stick and put it down in the wing tank and check your fuel and make sure you're topped off. Our pilots made that mistake. We crashed in Mississippi. Six people were killed on impact. I looked out and saw the left wing actually come off, and it was just tremendous impact. As soon as everything stopped... I was trapped in the wreckage and I pushed through the jagged metal under me and got out and dropped to the ground. And I thought the whole plane was going to burst into flames. I didn't know we didn't have any gas. And then I looked around me and I realized the only thing that was going to help my friends was help. So I knew that I had to go get help. And as I was walking toward the the direction the plane was headed, the, the cartilage in my chest had all ripped up. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I felt like I was going to die. And I, and I felt like I needed to get somewhere and tell somebody where the plane was before I died. So I just kept going and kept going and kept going. I wasn't in good shape. And then, of course, when I got to the farmhouse, uh, I walked up in this guy's barnyard. He comes out of his cabin. You know, he's got a gun. He told me to stop. I, I really couldn't stop. I, I was going into severe shock. I saw the gun, I heard a gunshot, I felt something sting me in the left shoulder. I thought that the guy shot me. And I yelled, plane crash, with what I thought was my last breath. Johnny Moat put me in his pickup truck and took me to the crash site, and we were followed by ambulances and state troopers and cars and locals and everybody. And that's the last thing I saw was hundreds of people, (laughs) you know, going in to rescue my friends that were dying. If I leave here tomorrow Would you still remember me? For well, I must be travelling on now Cause there's too many places I've got to see 
in the plane crash, I used my Marine Corps training to put one foot in front of the other and get to that farmhouse and bring help back to the crash site, which is exactly what I did. When you see the movie, it's very intense, but it's what happened. I told the story two 11-hour days, crying, stomping, punching walls, screaming, laughing, crying some more to get it out of me so that he could write a script around what I gave him was the screenplay. It must have been really cathartic for you, was it? It was extremely cathartic, Sandy. In saying that, reliving the entire thing again, and I'm sure you've relived it time and time and time again. Every day. You'd feel the loss of those guys all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah, and and, and when I'm playing the music, sometimes I'll get emotional and I, I just play through the tears and then I'll recover. Did you have any grief counseling at all for that? No, Sandy. Nowadays, there are there's grief counseling for everything. Back then, the grief counseling was drugs and alcohol. And I lost a lot of my friends to that long after the plane crash. Yeah. I'm a pilot. I know how to fly anything in the air. I can write my name with a bulldozer. I, I, I'm, a good, I'm a race car driver. I can drive race cars and win races. But what I love doing the most is, is playing drums. Now, I, I'm also a horse whisperer. I love horses. I have eight incredible children and grandchildren that I play music with. They're all brilliant in spite of my dumbass. But what I love doing the most is playing Leonard Skinner music. It makes me feel good to make people happy and see the smiles on their faces and hear the stories. at 40 years of being sad is enough. Each year on the anniversary, instead of being going off and being by myself in the, in the woods or on a mountaintop, I was going to just be happy to be alive and be able to play Leonard Skinner music for so many people at my age. You know, I'm very fortunate. I miss my friends. I think about them as I'm playing the songs. I think about everybody in the band. And sometimes it brings tears because I, I'm, I'm so lucky to be able to play this music. I think about the plane crash and my friends and the arc of Leonard Skinner every single day. I try to end the movie on a high note by saying simply that being the drummer of Leonard Skinner has saved my life. get that name what's the name mean well i knew him i became good friends with him he was the the high school football coach what his name was leonard skinner his name was leonard l-e-o you know leonard leonard right right skinner s-k-i-n-n-e-r really but ronnie and alan and gary 
would be kicked out of school for having long hair. The football coach, Coach Skinner, saw them in the hallway. He would take them down to his office in the athletic department, and he would cut their hair. He had shears, and he would cut. He did it to everybody, anybody whose hair would get too long. So they, as a joke, changed it to L-Y-N-Y-R-D-S-K-Y-N-Y-R-D. Yeah. And they changed the name to that. Did he know that it was that, that was named in honor of him? He did later. The fans loved him. I'm the only member of Leonard Skinner that showed up at Coach Skinner's funeral. They named the band after him. He loved it. He I loved bet it. he did. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Artemis, of, of all the songs that Leonard Skinner made so incredibly famous. Obviously, Sweet Home Alabama is the biggest one. Is that the one that you like best? My first song with the band was Saturday Night Special about gun control. Ronnie believed in that. It was on a Burt Reynolds movie. So sentimentally, that's my favorite. Sandy, I got to tell you, I could talk to you all day long. So just to wrap up then, Artemis, you've got this tribute album. There's some fantastic artists that are up front. You've got Sammy Hagar singing Simple Man, Billy Ray Cyrus doing Call Me The Breeze, Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn out front of Sweet Home Alabama, and Warren Hayes singing Saturday Night Special. We will all go to have a look at the movie Street Survivors Steve Gaines actually wrote four of those Street Survivor tracks from the original album. He was the one who did I Know A Little You Got That Right, I Never Dreamed and Ain't No Good Life. That album went gold in 10 days. Tell me which song from that album you'd like us to go out on. I I love the duet between Ronnie and Steve. And thank you so much. Thank you, Artemis Pyle. All the very, very best to you. Can I say good day? You can. (laughs) And I'll say thanks, (laughs) y'all.
Good Life from Leonard Skinner's Street Survivors album. They were a pretty talented bunch, weren't they? I really appreciate the time Artemis Pyle took to relive the crash and to fill us all in about the movie he's made about it. You'll find Street Survivors on several streaming platforms, including Amazon Prime and YouTube. Thanks so much for joining me here today. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about Leonard Skinner and their music. Don't forget if you've got someone you'd like me to find for you, all you've got to do is send me a message through the website abreathoffreshair.com.au. I'll look forward to being back in your company again same time next week with another terrific guest. I hope you can make it. I'll see you then. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.